Welcome to Growing Your Team, a podcast designed for small business owners seeking to grow their company with the help of employees and contractors. Your time is limited, which means growing and leveraging teams is essential for business success. The Growing Your Team podcast is the place to learn tips and techniques designed to help you know when it's the right time to hire, how to select perfect fit team members, and how to maximize productivity while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kike. Hello, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Brandy Mowles. Brandy is a wife, mom, podcast host, and helps online service-based entrepreneurs scale to 10K months without hiring a team. She is dedicated to helping small online businesses define their success and take complexity out of their business so they can focus on the things that truly matter in life. When Brandy isn't helping online businesses scale, you can find her spending days at the beach with her husband and daughter. Today, Brandy and I are chatting about not hiring for your business. I know that seems a little funny seeing this is the Growing Your Team podcast, but one of the things you will always hear me say is that you need to hire when the time is right for your business. And for a lot of businesses, they rush into hiring because they're overwhelmed, but in reality, they don't need more hands in their business. They need to simplify their business processes and focus on what truly matters. And this is where Brandy helps small businesses. So let's jump into the conversation, learn more about not hiring and what you should do before you take the steps to add team members to your business. Thank you, Brandy, so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. I'm so excited to be here today, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Can you kick us off with telling everybody a little bit about yourself and your business? Absolutely. So I am a wife and a mom, first off, always very family oriented. I live in St. Pete Beach, Florida. Very similar to you, Jamie, not the beach. Yes. I don't think you're at the beach, but no close by, but not at the beach quite yet. Yeah. I love that. And then, um, I own my own business, Brandy and company LLC, and it is an online platform. So it is a place where I help service-based entrepreneurs scale without a team and I teach people how to run Facebook ads for their clients. And I have a podcast, Serve Scale Source. So I just love the online space so much. And I totally geek out about systems. And I know we're going to talk about scaling your business without a team today. And that is so important to me. And it, just so everyone knows, I'm not against hiring a team. I do have a team, but I do think there's a time and place for that. And we'll probably chat all about that today. Yes, we'll definitely be digging a lot more into that because I'm sure so many people are asking, why do I have someone on this podcast to talk about growing without a team when the podcast itself is called Growing Your Team? And we talk about building your business through growing your team. But I feel it's so important and things you'll hear me talk about all the time is you have to hire when it's right for your business. And there's a lot of times when hiring is not right for your business and sometimes it's because you haven't done the work up front to prepare for a team and, and, and all of that stuff. So tell me, how did you get started on this business and why did you want to focus on helping people scale without teams? 
Yeah. So I was in, I was a top director in direct sales for six years. That was after law school. And I love selling. I love marketing, but I knew I didn't want to live the weekend weeknight life once I got pregnant with my daughter. And so when I was eight months pregnant, I left all of that behind my free car, all that. And my husband was like, wait, what are you doing? You're like eight months pregnant. I was like, we'll figure it out. Well, it got to five months after she was born and we had to figure it out. And so I was like, just search. I found virtual assistant work. And I was like, I had hired virtual assistants before, but it was more on like sending postcards, like birthday customer stuff. And I was like, I'm not sending postcards. But then I found out that I could do social media management for people virtually. And that really excited me. So I got started and about three months in, I had hit a cap. I was at $6,000 a month, hit a cap. And I knew that I either had to grow an agency or I had to figure out how to make this work. And at that time I had a little baby. So, and I was at home and there was no way that I wanted to manage a team, like just did not. So I figured it out. And within 10 months of starting that online business, I had grown to over six figures running at 80% profit margins. And everyone was saying, how are you doing this without a team? And I really took business down to the basics and how can we simplify our business? And I'm all about simplicity. I always say kiss, keep it simple, sweetie. And so how can we simplify our business so we can scale to where then once we're at a point that it makes sense to hire a team, the foundation is so solid that you know exactly who you're hiring and how to hire them. But it all starts with that really strong foundation and simplicity. Right. So one thing with being a small business owner, especially when you're growing this business from the ground up and it's just you, you get into the habit of doing everything and you build, you're building this business that at some points you look at it and you say, I don't know how to do anything different in my business. So there might be people out there saying, I got things as simple as I can, but from an outsider's perspective, they probably don't. So what are some of the main things that people have not simplified in their business that really could in order to be able to scale before they have to go and outsource and hire and spend more money? Absolutely. I think it comes down to so many of us are doing all the things. I always say hashtag all the things because there's so many things we're doing that we think we need to do, but they're actually not moving the needle forward. So I say we need to focus on four buckets and those are four needle moving buckets. And that starts with one is really honing in on who you serve and how you serve them. So no matter if you're an online service provider, a local business, but like, what does your message say? Who are you speaking to? Um, It was so funny. I was talking to someone and we were talking about when you scroll on Facebook and you see a meme and it just like speaks to you. So I saw one the other day that said 77% of the people who are reading this have a messy bun right now on top of their head. And I was like, (gasps) that's me. Like I had a messy bun and we have our marketing. We want people to feel that way. Like, this is speaking to me. And a lot of people are trying to serve everyone when really they just need to be serving and speaking to that one. So I say we have to get really clear on that. And that's one of our needle moving buckets. The second way to simplify our business is with systems. And so many of us are guilty of buying all the softwares, getting everything. When what are the softwares that actually move the needle forward the most? So like your project management, What are you using as a project management system? What are you using as your 
CRM, like those are the things. How can we simplify and find systems that incorporate all of that in maybe one or two systems instead of having all the systems? And then our third bucket is marketing. Not enough people spend time on marketing or they're doing too much marketing that doesn't make the most impact. And then the fourth one is how do we elevate our brand? How do we elevate our services to where we can charge more and become that well-known person or become that go-to brand. And when we focus on those four buckets, that's how we can really scale without doing all the things. Right. Oh, there's so many great things in there that I want to dig into. The first one being software. And that's one thing I think so many business owners get pulled into like drinking the Kool-Aid of you have to have these products and the software like right out the gate. And I actually have a background of process improvements and certifications in that. And one of the things we were taught right away when we were going through that is never jump into solving your problems with software because you have to make sure you have a process working first before, and of course, this is a corporate lens. They say before creating the software that could do this, do it for you because you might spend all your time creating the software that doesn't actually solve the problem or simplify anything. And sometimes I like to tell clients that too, is you have to figure out what you need and what works for your business and then go find the right software for that. So is that, do you kind of feel that same way? Yeah. And I think so many of us, I see two camps of people, the people who buy all the software because they think it's going to fix whatever problem that they have, or the people who try to be super cheap. And so they have like 20 different software where if they just spent like a little bit more money, they would run everything through one software and they would save so much more time. So yes, I totally agree with that statement. So with marketing, like you talked about, you know, being on all the platforms, I do feel like that is something we are so guilty of doing. And I know I've recently had my eyes open on many different things. I, as everyone knows, recently rebranded my business. So of course, this gave me the perfect opportunity to go and reevaluate everything. And I was using Pinterest a lot. And I still post things out to Pinterest when I do things new, but I was using it so much. And I was like, but I'm getting traffic from Pinterest. So it's totally worth it. But when I actually dug into where my revenue is coming from, very little of it was coming from Pinterest. So it was one of those things where I was spending all this time, but not getting a financial return. And I was like, getting people to my website doesn't really mean anything to me moving forward if it's not people who are ready to buy my services and to commit. So I think that's one of the things we have to look at and be willing to give up on something that might be giving us vanity metrics versus revenue metrics. Absolutely. And so many of us feel like we need to be on all the platforms or doing all the marketing things but it doesn't even mean our clients there. So I always tell my students or clients, like, is your client hanging out on that platform? Because a lot of us, like the sexy place to go is Instagram, but it doesn't mean that's where our client's hanging out. If you're serving dentist, you probably would have better luck on LinkedIn. And that may not be the place that you want to hang out, but that's probably the most effective way. Or if you are a local business and you have what I call the billboard bus and um, benches, like real estate um, attorneys, things like that, you have all these like brand awareness, but you're not using any of your marketing for Facebook ads, which is way more effective than those, 
then it's like, well, where can we put our money that makes it the most effective? Or where can we spend our time that gives us the biggest ROI? And so instead of focusing being on everywhere, focus on the one or two platforms that move the needle the farthest for you. Right. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful. Like once you realize what's going to connect to your audience, where you're spending the best dollars and spending the best use of your time, even when it comes to now, obviously we are at a time where in-person networking is still not happening or in a very different way than ever before. But even when it comes to in-person networking, that's been a big revenue driver for my business, but I don't do it all. I get really particular about where I spend my time and who I spend my time with because I can go to events 24-7 and not have them produce any revenue for my business, or I can go and connect to the right people at the right places at the right time and have it make an impact on my business. Absolutely. And a big part of that's just knowing your numbers. And so many people are scared to look at their numbers. They don't like data. But like once we get excited about our numbers, then that's when we can really grow and because you have a better handle on your business and where to spend your time. And that is so important. Right. It's funny uh, when it comes to Facebook and obviously you love Facebook because you spend a lot of time helping people with Facebook ads and everything. I have a love hate relationship with my, with Facebook. My husband doesn't like Facebook at all. I would prefer that the platform didn't exist. And he's, I remember there's so often he'd be like, you're on Facebook again. And I'm like, I'm on Facebook for work. And being able to show him the numbers in my business of this is why I spend so much time on Facebook. This is what I'm doing. I'm not out there necessarily connecting to the person I went to high school with that I have nothing in common with. I'm connecting to business owners and I'm putting my time there because it has this financial ROI on my business and that it's important to my business. And so being able to show even him, a person who doesn't love the platform, this is why, and this is what it's doing for my business. This is what it's doing for the family has then changed his perspective about it where it's like, okay, he doesn't want to be on the platform, but he's, a, he's okay now when he walks by my desk in the middle of a work day and I'm scrolling through the feed or responding to questions. Absolutely. So the other thing I want to dig into with the four tips that you gave us about simplifying is when it comes to prices and, and that stuff for your business. One of the things that I hear business owners say is, all right, people are telling me to just raise my price, but I'm uncomfortable raising my price because am I just asking for a higher price because I want to make more money? How do I get my clients to understand why? Or what are the right things to do when it comes to raising the prices? So you're, you're attracting the right people and being able to make more revenue in your business without necessarily having to go get more clients. Right. So absolutely. You're attracting, you're raising your prices because you want more money. Like we're all in business. We like, that's the goal of business. And then whatever you do with that money is totally up to you. And one of the best things I heard Pricing is such a mindset thing, but one of the best things I've ever heard is that price, uh, the more money you make doesn't make you a worse person. It doesn't make you a better person. It amplifies the person you already are. So if you're already a giving person, the more money you make, the more you can give. You're already like not a very nice person. You're probably going to be not a very nice person when you have more money. So it's all about like the power of money helps us have choices and give back. And so that's the first thing is like pricing is such a mindset thing. 
but I always say use the social proof pricing method. This is my method that I teach and it's all about the more social proof you get, the higher your prices should go. So every time you get a testimonial, every time you get a review, every time you get a case study or however you measure yours or your success story, like your prices should go up because you are showing the value that you bring. It's not about how many hours you work. It's not about um, the worth you think you're worth because honestly, like I feel like I'm worth a million bucks, but that doesn't mean someone's going to pay me that. It's all about what the market will pay and you start there, but then you use the social proof pricing method to consistently raise your prices because the more social proof you have behind your business, the more people are going to want to use you. It doesn't matter what your prices are. Social proof holds so much weight and there's so much evidence on how we like interact with businesses on social media based off their social proof. It's the reason why we'll like a post that has a hundred likes, but doesn't necessarily mean we like it as much, but we'll scroll past a post that really resonates with us, but only has five likes. We don't do it on purpose, but it's just how we are trained and how we interact with social proof. And so we should also use that social proof in our pricing. The more you have, the higher your prices. Oh, I love that. And I also feel like it really will help some people with that comfort level of raising their price because you're not just like one day waking up and saying, I'm going to raise my price. It's okay. I did a good job. Customers are happy. Now for the next one, it's more. Okay. That customer was happy. I did a good job. They're telling the world that I did a good job. All right. For the next person, it's more versus jumping from, let's say a $5,000 package to a $10,000 package overnight and kind of shocking your audience. Absolutely. And the big thing too is Referrals, I would say there's like a hierarchy, like a review on social media does not hold as much weight as a like referral. When people get, get send you a referral, you should not be charging them the same price that that referral paid because you have so much weight. Like that referral holds so much weight. You definitely need to raise your price whenever someone comes to you from a referral. And I know the question everyone's thinking is, but what if they already told them my price? and how much they paid, it happens, but you reevaluate your prices on a monthly basis. And these are my new prices. They came in at a really great time, but these are my new ones. Right. Yeah. And don't be afraid to charge what you're worth. And if you don't feel comfortable jumping to that number right away, like doing these small stair- staircase like steps as, as you're growing and getting the clients and getting the referrals. I, I love that. So now let's flip a little bit. So you talk, you help people scale their businesses without hiring, but obviously you mentioned you have a team. So eventually you went from scaling without a team to going and growing your team. What was the catalyst that made you realize that now it was time to hire? Yeah. There's two sides of my business. There's the service-based side where I provide Facebook ads for client services and that is still just me. I can run that at twenty to $30,000 a month with just me. I don't need a team. The systems are so solid. My pricing solid. But then there comes an aspect where you have so much going on in your business. Like we have the service side and then we have the course membership side. And I think once you have a foundation, and I do believe a lot of this comes down to revenue because as a business owner, I believe in profitability. Like I want a business to be profitable. I don't want to have a million dollar business that runs 90% expenses. Like I want a profitable business. 
And so part of that is knowing that like, okay, what do I need to get off my plate so I can serve in my zone of genius, but also continue to run the margins that I want to run. And it's getting very specific on, okay, I need someone for this job. And it's a job that I already have a process for. It's a job that I already know how it needs to be done. And I can just give it over to someone else and they can take my process and do it. And I can continue to grow the revenue from what I work in my zone of genius. So I think the biggest mistake that I see people make is one, they hire too soon before they Mm -hmm. have the revenue to like actually support a team, whether it's contractors or employees. And then what happens is their employees are taking home more money than them. And that's not a good situation. And then the second one is people hire because they want to fix something and they think bringing someone in is going to fix that but they don't have the processes in place to hand over and they don't know what they're actually hiring for. Right. No, I love all that. Like the one thing that I will add is sometimes the hire you have to make is the person that's going to help you figure out those systems and processes. But as I always say, those are the strategists that you're hiring or the coaches that you're hiring that are really specific. And that's their job is to help you figure out these processes, help you figure out what's works. And then they're done. Like you move on, you're not having those long-term relationships, but sometimes we do need that help in our business because we don't, we don't know everything ourselves. Like sometimes we need our eyes open. We need a different perspective, but yeah, when it comes to those long-term relationships, the people that are executing the work, you need to have all that stuff figured out before you hire. You don't want to hire someone and then be trying to figure things out on the go because it might mean that you're hiring before you need somebody, you're hiring for the wrong role. Or you hired someone that can't actually do what you need them to do. I totally agree. And I, so I do VIP days where I just do systems with someone. It's a one day thing and then I'm gone. And so I view that as a different type of investment than like bringing someone on and they're part of your team. And so I totally agree. Those one-offs, sometimes you need them, but even before you hired them, you have to know like the direction you want your business to go. Some people want to bring in coaches and have them figure out their business for them. And as entrepreneurs, that's our job to figure out the direction of our business and then bring in the right people to help us get there. Yes, exactly. I love all that. So tell us more about the membership program that you have. Yeah. So my membership program is for online service providers who are doing done for you services. So your virtual assistants, your podcast managers, your Facebook ad managers, those people who are providing services that typically your listener would probably be hiring. And I help them scale their business to 10 K months without hiring a team. Yeah. I love that. Cause yeah, those are some of the top areas that people need, especially for those of us that are running online businesses where We don't physically need people in a store greeting customers when they walk in. We need a lot of these different types of support and the people who run those businesses, because I know some of our audience does run those businesses as well. We want to be able to keep growing and doing more within our business. We don't want to be limited by these time restraints that we create for ourselves because we don't have everything figured out or the right processes in place. Okay. So my next question is... When it came to hiring your team, was there any lessons learned that would be helpful to share with the audience? Yeah, I always think there's so many lessons that come with hiring your team. 
Um, one of my biggest things, of course, is system. So I made sure that I had the processes in place, like an skeleton kind of, of how I want this process to work. And then the people that I brought on, they've flushed it out. They've made it better, but I knew how I wanted it to run and what I wanted the end result to be. So I think that one thing when you're hiring people is I've always hired people for very specific roles. Like I don't want a generalist VA that's doing everything. I want someone who's there to do the student success. So my student success coordinator, she is there to make sure our students are successful, retention, customer support, email. Then I have my OBM. She has very specific roles that she has. And then my podcast manager, very specific roles, my graphic designer, very specific. And so I knew what that role would look like, what they would be in charge of before hiring. And so instead of thinking about just hiring a very generalist, I like to hire people for very specific jobs and maybe they're not a specialist at that yet, but you're willing to teach them. And then usually with the great thing about that is you can pay a little less than a specialist and you teach them the way you want it done. And so I think that's been the biggest thing. And then also just knowing like, take into account things that you may not think of. Like, do you want to hire an employee? Do you want to hire a contractor? Do you want a team local to you? Is that even important? And so now I'm realizing like, I want a local team. Like I love camaraderie. I love community. We do a lot of launches. So there's a lot of excitement during a launch. And we're figuring out now that I'd like my team to be more local to me in St. Pete and Tampa than spread out over the country. So I think those are definitely some lessons I've learned. But the biggest ninja trick that I have is whenever you post a job, put some like weird task in there. Like um, for me, I always do a very funky subject line. So it's usually like GIFs are my jam. And (laughs) that's what I want the subject line because the great thing is as you're going through all these applications, any of them that don't have that subject line, you don't even open the email. It's delete, 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 delete for the application because they can't follow directions. And then the other thing I always like people to do is take the DISC personality test. So I'm certified DISC, so I know exactly what I'm looking for. But that's part of our process too is like, where does this personality align with our whole team? And I want to make sure the whole team and the culture align and it's not just this person may be the best for the job but if they don't align with our culture and our team then I don't want to bring them on and so those are some of the lessons that I've definitely learned right yeah I know what I help my clients like through the hiring process uh, for one of my subsets of clients we have specific directions of here is where you need to go to apply for this job if you don't apply this way through this site your application will not be reviewed. And occasionally, depending on the role, I will go and look at people that applied elsewhere, especially if we're looking for something very, very specific and I'm not getting what I need. And it, it just baffles me when you put the directions there and we put it clear. It's in bold at the top of the job posting, at the bottom of the job posting, and sometimes in the middle where it's like, how do you miss this one line if you actually looked at the job posting? It baffles me the people who don't follow directions. And then sometimes when I do go through and tell people, hey, I reviewed your resume, but you need to go apply here if you want to actually have an interview scheduled, that decide it's not worth their time. And I'm just like, why'd you even apply in the first place? Like, 
Like seriously, if you're not going to read the job posting and follow the directions, to me, you're saying, I'm not going to follow directions once I'm in the job. You are much more forgiving than me because I like sneak my subject line like in the middle and it's not bold because I am such a strickler for like attention to detail. So mine's like very small. And then it's usually the people who send me pictures of GIFs that I'm like, oh, you're my people. Like they actually (laughs) include a GIF in the email. Yeah. And for some of it, I would say, depending on what type of role you're hiring for, if attention to detail is important, you need to put some of those attention to detail things, those random things. So they actually read everything. So I, I do. I love like giving little directions of what to do to see how can you easily weed people out, especially when you're hiring for positions where there's a large pool of candidates and you can very easily get flooded by applications and resumes and have some easy way where you could just be like, all right, I don't even have to look at these ones. Here are the people that have already passed like step one of the process. Right. Yeah. All right. So one other question that I have is you're helping people scale without hiring a team. So at any point in time, did you start to have like imposter syndrome or anything like that when you were starting to realize that you needed to have a team? Like how can you keep coaching people on not hiring if you're going to now, I would say, break your rules and hire somebody for the first time? Yeah. And I'm very clear. I'm going to help you get to $10,000 a month without a team. And so there will come a point where you need a team. And I don't think, I think maybe when I hired my first person, but she still wasn't for my service-based side of my business. So I didn't have this like, cause I'm helping service providers. So it wasn't this sense of like, oh, I have to have a team or anything like that. And I'm very clear, like I do have a team, but I'm also doing over a hundred thousand dollars a month. It's a very different place in your business. And so I'm very clear, like, I think you can get to $10,000 a month without a team because we're setting that foundation. And then if you want to grow beyond that, maybe now's the time to start hiring. And that's what my mastermind that is all people who are doing like eight, $10,000 a month. That's where I teach them how to hire through that, but it's at a different level in their business. So I'm not against hiring a team. I didn't really deal with the imposter because it was like, okay, if I'm doing a hundred thousand and you're doing 2000, we're at very different places in our business. It's okay that I have a team. And I think it's good if you're open and clear about that to show people, this is what you can scale to. You're never going to be able to do everything yourself if you want to scale past a certain point so that they knew they wouldn't be able to do things on their own forever if they wanted a bigger and bigger business. Yeah. So I like that. And that's okay. Like bringing home 10,000 and you only have a thousand dollars in expenses and you have 9,000, like that's incredible. Not everyone wants a million dollar business. And I love that my membership gives them permission that they don't have to want that, that they can bring home money for vacation for, to bring their husbands home or whatever it may be that that's their definition of success. And that is perfect. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And that's, that's so important for business owners is you get to decide what your business looks like. If you never want to manage a team, you don't have to, you know, you have to know that you're going to reach capacity, but if you're okay with that level of capacity, because it's giving you everything you need, 
then stay there. Don't be pushed so far out of what you want to create a business based on what somebody else wants for you. My husband and I were watching a show last night and they were like, you're going to win a million dollars. This is life-changing money. And we were talking about that because he was like, but these football players were both football fans. He's like, they make 40 million a year. Like how much money is like too much money? And I was like, money is relative. Like what someone, you know, $10,000 for someone could be life-changing money or, you know, a million dollars that could be life-changing money for a lot of us. But to Tom Brady, a million bucks is not life-changing money. And so it's all relative. And I think that that's important is that we decide what is life-changing money for us. Because for me, it was bringing home $10,000 a month so I could bring home my husband. That was life-changing money for us. But that may not be life-changing money for other people. And what is life-changing? You know, it's all relative. Right. It's funny. We were having a somewhat similar conversation with my father-in-law the other week, but we were talking in particular about pocket change and like the value of, oh, that's no big deal. Like it's such a low price. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, and he said how at different points of his life, what he considers pocket change where, oh, it only costs such and such dollars changed where now he's like, oh, it costs under this. It's no big deal is so much higher than it was for him before. So you might go through different points of your time where what is life-changing money is, is different. And what you want now might not be what you want. You might have kids now at home and a few years they're going to be off to college on their own. And you're like, well, now I don't need as much. I can scale back. Or I know other people that say, hey, now we want a vacation. So we need more money. So it changes and you know, just go with it. Do what's what, what is important to you. I love that. Okay. So going back, you said now you're growing your team. You want a local team. Is it still going to be a remote team? So I love having contractors. Like I love contractors. I do not have any employees. I'm okay with not having any employees. Um, I want an office that I go into three days a week and that my team comes in one day a week for team meetings. And then when we're in launches, I want us all to be together. I want team retreats, things like that. But um, they can work from home. I think with Corona and everything, more and more people are going to like, they enjoy working from home. I don't want to sit in an office with a bunch of people. And so I want like that blend of, hey, you're local. If we need to get together, we can, but we don't need to be together every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. So your team can still be remote even if you're hiring local people. So you can have that occasional get together. So you can see people face to face. So remote doesn't necessarily mean scattered all over the world. It could still be remote locally. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting, like mentioned Corona and everyone adjusting to working from home because I'm helping a client interview and we've hired for a similar position before. So we're using, we started off with some of the same interview questions to hire this additional team member. And one of the questions they had on there, because they are a pure remote company, was about work from home experience. And we decided to keep the question on there because this will be a long-term remote remote position. So we wanted to get people's like feelings and how they're adjusting and everything. But it's so different now to go and ask candidates about their work from home experience because 
everyone now in this industry has work from home experience where they're like, well, if you asked me this question four months ago, I probably worked from home like the occasional day when I couldn't go into the office or there was a hurricane coming our way. They're like, now it's been every day for four months. And now I'm in, I have my routine. I have my office set up and, and everything. So it's totally a different environment now with everyone. As long as you're in some service-based position, having the ability to work from home. Yeah. And what a gift. Like, oh my goodness. I know some people are not seeing it as a gift, but I just know like it is such a gift to be able to work from home. And now that I'm wanting to find an office, it's more because I have a two-year-old. We say toddler Tuesdays where like I need to get work done, but a toddler's running around. And so having that place where I can choose, like I'm going to work remotely today in my home office, or I can go into a co-working space office and work then too. But I think there's so much amazingness that can happen when we work from home. And, but I also know that it's definitely an adjustment for a lot of people right now. And for those people, I just want to say it gets better. It's just like, a, it's, it's an adjustment period, especially if you have spouses home. It was funny. We were talking in my group and my part of my story is I was able to bring my husband home from his job because of my business. And so now he's a full-time stay at home dad. And I want more people to have that option. And once Corona hit, I was like, it was like a month and a half in and I was like, so how many of you still want your husband home all the time? And they were like, we changed our mind. And I'm like, no, it's great. You just have to get through that like initial learning phase of having both of you home at all times. But I think they're, especially people with kids, it's so good to have both parents home. Right. Well, especially with Corona, it was, I'm sure before he would do things like go take your child to the park or go here, go there, go on, like be able to get out of the house. And then all of a sudden it was, no one can go anywhere. So everyone was fully at home and then kids getting bored and antsy and, and everything. So completely different than normal situations where, yeah, husband, the kids, everyone can be home and you, you got your routines down that work for you. I know my husband has been working home, working from home. I think this summer will be three years Gosh, it feels like it's gone by so fast. And I've been working from home for four years now. And through that, our girls have been in school or preschools or some sort of care. And other times they've been home full time. And I remember my husband, when he first started working from home, got this job. He was like, well, I might still go into the office and just work from home occasionally because of the distractions. The kids are gonna to be too much of a distraction when they're around or that because we would both be home together. He's like, I just feel like it's gonna be all these distractions. And one of the things I had to tell him was, yes, there's distractions at home, but there's also distractions at the office. They're just different types of distractions. And at the office, you've learned to deal with them throughout your day. You, someone comes in, taps you on the shoulder at your desk and you answer their question and then you go back to work and you don't even think about it. But at home, your spouse comes, taps you on the shoulder to ask you a question and, oh my gosh, they ruined your day. How dare they, they disturb you like while you're working. And it, like, I told him, I was like, go, when you go back to the office the next time, really focus on your distractions. How many times your coworker bothered you? How many times you were distracted because there was a noise off in the office and you stand up to see what it was like everything that goes on like make note of all these distractions okay now working from home 
make note of all the distractions. And he actually realized that he was able to focus more for more hours of the day at home than at the office. Because even though there were still distractions, there was actually fewer distractions than at the office. That's so crazy. I love that. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our interview today. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. Yeah. So Instagram, I don't post a lot, but I hang out there a lot. So Instagram is always a good place. It's at Brandy and company all spelled out Brandy with an I. And then my podcast, the serve scale Soar podcast is available and talks all about scaling your service-based business. And then if you want to learn more about the four buckets, you can head over to servescalesore.com forward slash free and check out my free training that goes over everything that we just talked about, but way more in depth. Awesome. Thank you. And I like to end with asking everybody the same question. So we've all had managers and leaders in our past that really stood out to us. Can you think about the best leader, manager, boss that you have had and share one thing about them that made them so great? So does a coach count? Yeah. Okay. Because I have not had a lot of bosses in my lifetime. Um, so I think what I'm thinking about like leaders, I had an amazing coach and I just saw the amount of value that he put into really getting to know us as people and not just another number. And I think that when we can make other people feel so special and know them and know their background, it doesn't mean you have to know everything, but enough to just make them feel special And that just, and more than just a number and with your clients, your customers, anything, if find the ways to make them feel special, I think that's always the gift that I learned from him is like, how can we make others feel special to where they're not just a number? Right. And that is such a good example because it wasn't someone that you were reporting to in a work situation, which shows that we can all be leaders and have great impacts on people's life, even when we're not in that manager uh, employee relationship or a manager team member relationship. So we can be leaders to our clients, to people in the community, to everyone around us and look up to people at, as leaders throughout our life as well. So thank you for sharing that example. Yeah. One thing that I do with my team that helps as well is that every Monday when we have our meetings, we celebrate a win. So one thing that they've done well with our business, like what do you want to celebrate that you accomplished? But then I always ask them, what is a personal win you had this past week? And that just makes them feel special. It gives them a place to be able to share something that's in their life. And it shows that I actually care about more than just what's going on at work. Right. Yes. We have to remember that our team members are people outside of our businesses and they want to be seen as as a whole person, not just a worker. All right. Thank you so much, Brandy, for coming on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thanks so much for having me. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, and you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the Growing Your Team podcast so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes and hear all the greatest tips from our guest experts on how you can grow your team so you can scale your business. And if you haven't done so yet, please consider leaving us a review. I would love to hear what you think of the podcast and your review 
will help other people decide if this is the right podcast for them. So once again, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.